right, y'all. We're heading into the new year. It's the end of 2020. We all want to jump into 2021 with both feet. And, you know, as we come into this new year, it's often a time of reflection and looking for no surprises there. We're thinking about the things we want to change or recommit to goals. We're, it's, a, it's a prime opportunity for reinvention. And whether you have huge audacious goals or you just want to do something practical that can help you, something that can move you forward in a small way, these things take a lot of energy and courage and creativity, right? You're, you're moving from one thing to something new. You're getting out of a rut into a new open field where you get to carve your own path. All of this thinking reminded me of a friend of mine named Beth Comstock. Now, if you're not familiar with Beth, she is on a mission to understand and navigate change for herself and for other people at the same time. She is a world-class executive as a vice chair of business innovation and CMO at GE. Part of her role there was to accelerate growth and change. And if you're, <laughs> you're trying to do that on a huge organization like a GE, you know, you learn a few things about what motivates people and what gets things done. She was also the president of integrated media at NBC Universal. She oversaw the TV ads and digital efforts. I mean, she is a boss. And I'll tell you, as we're thinking about this move to reinvention, I couldn't help but remember a handful of things that Beth had told me. And we had a conversation after her, uh, she did a, an amazing class at Creative Live. And we had a, a discussion afterwards. Uh, if you recall, I have had her on the show before, but I thought it was really prudent to share some of the thinking from her class, specifically on this topic. So a few of my favorite lessons that had an impact on me that I'm going to share with you today one, how to become a change maker by using your imagination. Now, what I like about this particular you know, lesson is that whether you are your own entrepreneur creator, you have to interact and work with others. That requires change making skills and leading with imagination. The cool thing is the same is true if you are at an organization where you work for somebody else or a large organization. This is a valuable skill, how to become a change maker by using your imagination. Another topic we're going to talk about is how to use courage to develop and defend new ideas. Now, this is often something that extroverts find not difficult at all and introverts struggle with. Now, Beth is a uh, self-identified introvert. So there's some really good strategies that will help you introverts gain the courage needed to develop and defend these creative ideas as well. Uh, thing three is how to unearth new ideas and apply strategies to bring them to life, right? Because what is an idea without execution is just uh, is useless, right? It's not taking action. So putting strategies in place that will um, help you and your team or the organization that you're leading, whether that's you and one person, just yourself, or a larger organization, we need to put these things into action. And lastly, in the show, how to make room for discovery, how to apply the concepts of storytelling to help you both discover and make your vision a reality. Storytelling is at the core of what it means to be human. We learn through story, right? So oftentimes we forget the importance 
not only of getting others to do the work that we hope that they will do, that they will get inspired by us, but also we tell ourselves a story every time we embark on some endeavor. Now, remember, the world is unlikely to be slower in the future than it is right now, right at the turn of this new year. There's all kinds of negative emotions around that. But what you know, I'm asking you today is, can you find a way to use this time right now to make a plan and ignite your ideas into reality? That may be a luxury. I recognize that entirely. If it's not, and if you can use this time and Beth's framework, I feel like it is a critical building block to help you be successful. So I'm going to get out of the way and turn you over to my friend, Beth Comstock. And it's my hope that you will give her a shout on the internet. She is receptive and I can't wait to hear what you think. Goodbye 2020 and hello 2021. This is your year. This is the year where you take your dream, your one big dream or the series of dreams that you have for this one precious life and you put action behind those beliefs, those thoughts, the dreams that you have. And there's lots of ways to do that. I want to invite you to do one in particular this year, and that is to sign up for Creative Live. And you're like, wait a minute, isn't that the thing that you... Yep, that's right. I'm the founder and CEO of that thing. But I want you to know there's hundreds of people that go to work there uh, and make amazing content, whether that's the top creators and entrepreneurs or the team behind the scenes. There is a world where the best creators, the Pulitzer Prize winners, New York Times bestsellers, they teach photo, video, art, design, music, audio, uh, business classes, anything that has to do with making a living and a life in any of those disciplines. We have created from the ground up what I think is the best library on the planet, more than 10,000 hours. And this is where millions of people go to learn. And I wanted to invite you to make 2021 your best year yet and go to uh, creativelive.com slash creator pass, all one word, to get the very best price you can on a subscription that'll unlock literally thousands of hours, thousands of classes from all those folks you've ha- you've heard or seen on the show or that you know to be in my ecosystem. So many of those are the, the, the people who teach these classes at Creative Live. I want you to check it out. That's an amazing value, um, but the best price anytime, 24-7, is available at creativelive.com slash pass all one word. So thank you all for taking time today. We've got a lot to cover. I uh, appreciate uh, your being here. Uh, can I give you an introduction about me a little bit more? I made my way in business as somebody who had to figure out what's new and next. Uh, I had to learn uh, to meet change early. Uh, And the companies I work for, it helped us find uh, clean tech, the digitization of media and industry. It helped generate billions of dollars of revenue, brand value. And so I had to make change my job. Um, It doesn't mean I always liked change or that I was always good good at it, but change is essential and necessary. And that's what I want to talk about today. Um, the power of change and getting ready. And really why I'm here is because I think we need more people in our organizations, in the world, who are fighting for what's next and new, willing to kind of imagine uh, new possibilities in the world. The nature of change is changing. 
And I think that's one of the messages I really want to hit home. I think we look at the intersection of technology and globalization. There are just more places for change to emerge. And it seemingly emerges overnight. Uh, it disrupts us before we even know what's, what's happened. Uh, it's showing up in more places. Small, indiscernible shifts suddenly become game changers in literally the blink of an eye. Um, here's a sobering thing to think about. The world will never be slower than it is right now. So we can all celebrate together. We're sharing this moment together and the next one and the next one. Uh, the futurist Ray Kurzweil said that in the 21st century, we won't have something like 100 years of change. It will be more like 20,000 years of change just in this century. And um, here's a sobering statistic for anyone who works in a company. Uh, 75 years, 50 years ago, the average life expectancy of a company was 75 years. Today, it's 15. Think of a company that just celebrated its 15th birthday, Facebook. Um, think about the changes that it's already seen and what, what it will see going forward. So I think about change a lot. Uh, I summon up science. And um, let me put this forward. Um, I think the kind of change we're seeing in the world right now is what I call uh, ch emergent change. This idea that change is happening in so many different places at once that new patterns emerge, kind of built on scientific principles. Um, but what it means is, as I said earlier, we're disrupted. And if we're not careful, we'll get left behind. Um, and when you think about it, um, we humans are adaptation champions. That's what makes us human, our ability to imagine. Yet I think we all have to think about um, how much we're, are, are we actually being encouraged to use our creativity and our imagination to make the future, to shape the future. Um, I'm worried in business. I think we've gotten much more focused on process, optimization, efficiency. I worry that it's uh, squeezing the imagination out of us, giving us less places to think about what's new, and really squeezing a lot of our ability to try things and take risks, just squeezing it out of us. So I think for me what I learned is the truth is I worked for a big company that spent a lot of time in getting rid of imperfection. And trust me, some of these programs are really important. But it can also sort of damage the human spirit at work, the need for creativity and courage. And what I worry in companies is that as we're optimizing, perhaps we're not prioritizing creativity and creative problem solving. Um, and um, it made me think of, um, of a statistic I, I read. I, I, I lost the attribution of it, but it's still relevant. Um, researchers found that 75% of people in the Western world say they're not creatively challenged in their work. That's a sobering statistic. It could be someone you work with. It potentially could be you. And so I think we all have to face into it. It reminded me of a story uh, of a, in, in my a lunchroom where I, what a company I worked. And there was a table of people who sat at the same table every day. And they called themselves the table of lost dreams. Okay, they called themselves this. And they were quite a clever group of people. They were very funny. They told jokes, usually at the expense of anyone who dared walk by them. It was kind of a hazing as you first showed up at the, at the company. Um, and they were very cynical, but you know, I came to realize they weren't very funny. They were actually quite sad because along the way, the creativity, the spark, the ability to take risks had been sort of squeezed out of them and um, the inspiration was lost. So the truth is, I think when we, when we start to squeeze out our humanness at work, we're, we're squeezing out 
um, our, our inspiration, our imagination. And I, I think of it as the imagination gap. And um, to me, I think it's one of the issues that we are facing into in the world, but especially in our business places. What is the imagination gap? To me, it's the place in our organizations where possibility for the future goes to die. Because we're in this new world where lots of changes emerging, a lot of complex things that we haven't encountered before, and we need creative problem solving to find our way through it. Yet what do we do? We go back to the way we've always done things, the tried, the true. What's even more in this age of data, we, we wait for more data to tell us what to do. You know, there's always more data, always more, always a checklist, always something to give us certainty, yet often the answers are in things we've never tried before. And so really I'm, I'm here to say, how do we summon more of our creative problem solving? It's really what I mean by imagination, to kind of make the future, to take risks, to, to figure out how do we, how do we go forward. Um, I use Imagination Gap because um, I, I had a reason to talk to the CIA in part of my career, and they, they've really opened themselves up, bringing in people like me from business to help them think about change. And think about the CIA back after 9-11. You may recall there was a commission to sort of figure out how did we miss this? How did terrorism take a new route that we don't know we were surprised by it? And you may recall the 9-11 Commission indicted the CIA for a failure of imagination. They could not imagine the way terrorism had gone grassroots. They could not imagine a new way forward. And yet, since then, they've opened themselves up. They've brought in advisory boards. They've brought in people like me to, to kind of bring them new ideas. And that's a critical step I think we all need to think about. But I, I believe that this is something that's, um, that's facing all of us. And so that's the framework I wanted to, to set up today, that organizations that can't close this, this imagination gap they get left behind. And those of us who work there or depend on organizations or are trying to figure our way and need those as clients, we get left behind too. So I think what's required and what I'm gonna lay out for you today is a shift in mindset and a series of steps to take action. I mean, really I wanna to get to some things we can do to take action, creative problem solving, to literally imagine it forward. Okay, we're gonna move into the next section. This is my favorite one. This is uh, what gets me excited in life, in work. It's about discovery. I mean, to me, discovery is what makes everything possible. Um, it's, it's about infusing yourself with this kind of spirit of inquiry, of uh, being out in the world. It's about curiosity. It's about turning the world into your classroom and um, trying to get out and unleash ideas that, that hopefully make change possible. So um, part of my job uh, in the course of my career, I was chief marketing officer of GE, and uh, I uh, was the first chief marketing officer in, in uh, 20 years, and no one had had the job for that long, and they didn't really know what, what the job was. I didn't come in with a lot of traditional marketing background, so I had to learn what the job was as I was doing it. And um, one of the things I came to appreciate was I, I could take this job very seriously. It was about living in the market. It was about change and understanding what's going on outside. What I came to realize in the company where I worked, everybody was very inward focused. There were a lot of, and it was great, a lot of best practice sharing from one division to the next, a lot of business reviews, really good operating process, but what often didn't happen was we weren't encouraged to pick our head up and look at what was happening outside. And I made that my job. My job is I'm gonna live in the world, I'm gonna go see for myself, and that became how I, I built my career 
And it also helped me kind of overcome some of the lack of confidence I had because it was tapping into my curiosity. So here's the thing about, um, about discovery. We get too insular. We have to get out there. And here's, here's what I, you don't have to dress in blue. Um, but I think what has to happen is you have to get in, if you want an edge on the future, which is why you're out in the world, you're trying to understand this change early, you have to be willing to go and see what's next and new. You even have to be willing to put yourself in the line of a lot of what's weird, things that look different. As I said, you don't have to dress in blue, but you have to be willing to kind of understand. So to that point, I want to give, a, give you, a, I want to take a minute and do an exercise. So what I'd like you to do is just consider things that were weird five or ten years ago, but are commonplace now. So just conjure in your, your memory or some things that maybe ten years ago you were like, that is so weird. That's just never going to make it. That's just so weird, but you see it now. I mean, for me, it's like kombucha, like, right? <laughs> I love kombucha, but 10 years ago, the thought of drinking, like, slimy bacteria or whatever it is, like, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't know, what, what are some, anyone here have some thoughts? Um, getting in a stranger's car. That's a good one. That's a good one, getting in a stranger's car, right? Even when you say that, it sounds weird, right? <laughs> Allowing a smart speaker in your house. Uh, allowing? A smart speaker in uh, your house. Allowing a smart speaker in your house, right. Allowing some sort of intelligent machine in your house potentially to spy on you or to help you. A robot in your house, right? Ten years ago, even five years ago, that would have been seemingly crazy. Um, I was with some... Um, craft brewers recently. I mean, no, some, some traditional brewers recently, and they were bemoaning the fact that they missed the craft beer revolution. Clearly, they didn't come to Seattle. They didn't go to Portland, either Oregon or Maine, because that was knowable. If you were in the traditional beer generation business, it was quite knowable that craft brewers were taking over the brewing space, if you were out there understanding it. Marijuana is another one. Ten years ago, and I mean, think about the arc of progress for the marijuana industry. And 10 years ago, the idea that it would not just be medicinal, but legal in the way that it is. So I like this as an exercise to think about the weird. There are a lot of things today that you're probably discounting. They are the get in the car with a stranger, have a robot in your house, drink kombucha, or craft beer of 10 years. What are they? So maybe make a note. What are a couple of things you're going to start to try to tune into of some things that looking out that are on the fringe that you want to learn about, you want to study a little bit. I, um, I did this with um, uh, a couple of different things, um, additive manufacturing when I worked at GE, so 3D printing and metals and other things, um, blockchain. I mean, there's a lot of things in the world today, but it could be something very, it, it could be something very old school that, that you see coming back again. This is the kind of practice I'm recommending is what you have to do to kind of keep track. Uh, are you meeting with enough weird people? Are you going out and seeing enough people who are in places that are different, doing things that are different? Are you asking them how and why they're doing it? 
So now I have another uh, exercise, uh, a challenge. So I want you, what I want to get into as we wrap up on this section is scenario planning, which is kind of another part of this discovery, this imagine it forward. So what I want you to think about, a bit of a mental exercise, is I want you to imagine something right now that you think is a constant. It's never going to change. I don't know. The sky is blue. Just something. Could be more profound than that. It's something with your job, with your life, with the world. Just a constant. You guarantee it's never going to change. Now imagine you go home tonight, you're thinking about it, you wake up tomorrow, you find that thing's just changed. It's gone away. What would you do? Does it make you excited? Like, hooray, this is such an opportunity. Does it make you scared? Feel like, oh my gosh, the world's never going to be the same. Curious? Well, I think this is what's happening every day with this kind of emergent change we were, um, we were talking about. It's not really just a thought experiment. Every day, people are waking up to find the reality they thought was true has been changed. And it was changing all along. Sometimes they just didn't want to admit it, or potentially it moved faster than they could. Um, we were talking, was it, uh, uh, your, I'm sorry, Cecilia. Cecilia. Cecilia, you were talking about getting in the car with a stranger. Um, I mean, Uber would be a really great example if you were in the taxi business in most of the major cities around the world and you thought, I can go to sleep feeling great about my medallion, ta my taxi medallion. Now, you didn't just wake up overnight and see Uber everywhere, but almost it felt like that, right? Strangers were getting into strangers' cars, and they were paying good money to do that. Um, I worked in the uh, energy clean tech space, and for a long time, the people I worked with thought fossil fuels are never going to go away. The sun, the wind, are you kidding? Until one day, solar was as cheap as gas and cheaper, on its way to be cheaper than other, other forms of energy. How about the idea of paying without a wallet? How many of you go into a place and say, now do you take cash? feeling like you're a dinosaur or something, right? The idea that cash would go away was such a constant. Do you take cash? How about the idea that you were born with gender assigned, right? Today, you can pick your gender. That's a constant. And so I like this as a thought exercise, and I like this graphic for a reason. For any of you who study science and Earth, you'll perhaps know that Earth scientists are telling us the magnetic north and south are shifting. So what we've known as magnetic north is going to be magnetic south. We don't know when, but those things are shifting. So it's a bit of an exercise. And so I have a couple of other of these. I, I love the idea of just an ongoing practice of scenarios, of what ifs. Now, you can't live in what-if land. That's not a very good place to live. You make yourself crazy. I'm a chronic worrier. I, I, I've thought of every possible doomsday scenario. I'm ready for it. So perhaps I come naturally to this, this activity. But I think for all of us in the course of, of living, it's worth having some creative license with the what-if. So I have a couple that I like to throw out there. Um, one is opposition. So imagine if what you think is true is just opposite, kind of a, kind of a version of, of that, but suppose that the opposite of convention. You know, for a long time, we were told sugar was good for us. Does anyone today believe sugar is good for you? For a long time, we were told fats are bad. Depending on who you ask today, fats are considered either good or bad, depending on who you talk to. 
what we said earlier about a fringe thing, marijuana now is a health benefit. So the opposite, what would happen if your business idea, your, your teamwork, what if the opposite took place? So I think that's a good exercise. Another one I love is worst case scenario. Again, doomsday, there have been books written about this, worst case scenario books. What's the worst case scenario of something? Um, Simone said she's building a business. What's the worst that could happen? You're not successful. Well, that's a whole confidence issue perhaps we'll talk about. But the worst that could happen is you're not successful. But play that, take it to that point, and then work it backwards. Does that create some new opportunity out of that? You're not successful because why? Maybe you didn't have the right partner. Does that mean you need a different kind of partner? Did you need a different, um, a different product? You know, so, so I think sometimes just going through those and work your way back. Imagine that worst thing happens and work your way back. Are there new creative ideas that, that get sparked? Time shift. This is one I really like. We often think we don't have enough time. Often we have much less time than we think. But what if the problem that you're trying to solve takes 10 years longer than you think? What if a competitor can do it in 10 years faster? What if you can do it faster than you think? What would you do differently if time had a different element? Phantom problem. This is one of my favorites, too. What if the problem isn't really a problem at all? What if you actually don't need as much money as you think? What if it's not really a budget issue? So maybe the problem you're imagining is a phantom problem. How will you know? And another one, strange bedfellows. What if you mashed up two things that seemingly don't go together? I don't know, like the police force and the candy stripers at the local hospital. They even have candy stripers anymore, volunteers. They were young people in high school who volunteered in hospitals. Let's just say we took police officers and, and hospital volunteers and mashed them up together. What would we come up with that? Could that solve a problem in a new way? So this idea of just unlikely combinations. Is there somebody unexpected who could help you as you're starting your new business go forward? So one of the things that I found really helpful in this, um, when we were leading our clean tech revolution um, at GE, there was a lot of fear of, as I said, that um, this constant fossil fuel is never going to go away. And there was a fear that we were going to get ahead of our customers. Our customers did not want this new world. But there were some customers who did. In fact, they were ahead of it. They said they came to us and said, help us. We see this world coming. We don't want to get caught out. What can we do? Can you help us? And so we went on a discovery mission. We came back and figured out there were things to do. But one of the things we did was we had dreaming sessions together with our customers. We said, let's get together and let's peer out 10 years into the future. We picked 10 years because it was far enough out and it didn't get into day-to-day -day competition. And it wasn't so far out that people were like, oh, that's like science fiction. And we said, what kind of clean technologies would you help support? If we gave you some of our budget, which of these would you invest in? So out of that came a sort of an appreciation for wind in a, much, in a much bigger way than we thought. Now, you're not asking your customers to set your strategy. You're not asking others. You're just getting some feedback together to dream about what might be possible. So we did organize scenario planning together, and it, it allowed people to think together about how that might be possible. Taking some of those worst cases, those time shifts, and doing it as a bit of an or organized orchestration. So finally, the last thought in this is, um, I'm sure as you're hearing this, you're like, OK, this all sounds great, but does she know I have no time? 
Do I, I have no time. I don't wear a watch anymore, but I have no time. If I had one, I'd be pointing to it here. I have no time. And I know you're thinking that, right? I, I have no time. I say, how do you not have time to get out in the world and discover and imagine what could be before it greets you at your front door, and then you have much less option? And to me, it comes down to finding 10%. I guarantee you, you have 10% of your time that's wasted, or perhaps wasted is the wrong word, put in things that are less important. You're doing the same things you've always done. You're reading the same emails. Maybe you're going to the same news sources. If you, if you oversee a team or work with a team, maybe you're micromanaging the checklist with them. I guarantee if you go back and look at your calendar, you will find 10% of your time on things that you really don't care as much about. Now here I'm telling you this, you also, what are the things everybody's telling you to do? You have to eat better, be mindful, exercise. We have to spend time with our family. Guarantee you, you gotta, you gotta find a way. I, I love this, this is the way I live my life. I'm always out there finding at least 10% of my time wherever I go. Is there just some way, it's, it's, observe, it's observation. It's taking the time you have and just expanding your aperture. So that's my challenge to you as we wrap up this section. What's your 10%? I want to just take a minute and kind of challenge you to think about where you're going to find this opportunity to shift that aperture, open it up. Um, I called it getting outside the jar. You know, when you like imagine yourself inside a pickle jar and you have to read the label from the inside? You can't, right? It's really horrible. It's, it's like tinfoil or whatever. You don't know what flavor you are. You're just drowning in brine. You don't know what you are. Get outside the jar and look at it from a different perspective. And I say, how can you not? So that really is the, um, is the challenge. What's your plan? How are you going to do this? So here's the summary of what we've talked about, this idea of, of discovery, of making room for discovery. If you want to learn about change, if you want to encourage change, if you don't want to be surprised for it, you've got to get out there. You've got to go see for yourself means you have to be willing to hang out with some weirdos. You might have to be willing to be a little bit weird yourself and be okay with it. You're a pattern-seeking machine. It's what you are as a human. Use it. See those patterns. Be a spark. Find a spark. Ask yourself what if, and what about that 10% time? To me, it comes down to this. You know, you can look at, um, at what isn't happening and imagine what could be happening. It's a mindset shift. It's discovery. It's sort of interesting because I feel like the first and second segment could sometimes work against one another. Huh. So how do you continue to be curious and ask yourself questions about when to stop granting yourself permission or stop trying to solve problems and how, from an 80-20 perspective, yeah. spend time on what's going to be mo the most impactful, yeah. let's say? Yeah, I think that is an, uh, perhaps even an existential question of our time, right? And to be honest, I'm here a bit because I'm, I'm worried for all of us that we're a bit um, optimizing ourselves to death, productivitizing ourselves, efficiency-seeking. And um, so I, but I also realize we live in the world that's fast-moving and we have to squeeze more out of our day. So I think what I'm making a case for is a bit of you have to do both. So you'll find your right balance. And so I, that's why I like 10%. I mean, I, really, I, I'm not asking a lot. 
Um, and so I feel like you, you're going to figure out what your, your realm of that is. Um, for me, 10% was reasonable for the teams I worked with. For myself, I, do, I make room much more time for discovery. Um, and so I'm going to get into the next step about sort of testing and learning and, and kind of experimenting. All that is what I think we're creating is almost like a second lane for ourselves. You've kind of got your optimization core. I'm like really good at I know how to do this. And then I'm kind of figuring out what's new and next in the second lane. So I think you have to do both. And you'll have to figure out the right balance. So um, it's tension-filled. That's for all of us. It's finding that, making our way through that tension. I think if you just sat around being a discoverer, I mean, maybe that's your job. Uh, I've gotten to meet some great National Geographic explorers. That's what they do in the world. But um, they still have to find time to find grants and put proposals in and get their taxes paid and all, you know. So, so I think all of us have to wrestle with that. And I worry in business, especially, that we're not doing enough of this. And, um, and it starts with that permission granting to do it. So uh, anyway, a bit of a long-winded answer. But I think you, you know, each of us has to find our, what our balance is on that. Jules? Oh, yep. Go ahead. No, no. Okay. Um, I just wanted to say thank you. I feel like the second section of discovery was the answer to my first question. Oh, good. OK. Yeah, really. And in, what, can, in what way do you mind? Can you I, share? Yeah, no, I, I feel really energized. I, I think it got. I, I already think of myself and the work that I do is very creative. I, I do take people on field trips. Good. Uh, but this was, I really realized the connection between this space and what I've heard you say in some of your talks around cultivating really practices that, um, that allow us to exercise our imagination. Yeah. Um, in really, I think you've given us really great bite-sized pieces that we can bring practically into the workplace, and I wouldn't doubt that you probably have a hundreds more. Um, but I'm really appreciative yeah, of of giving me a little bit, kind of the weight lifting, the tools to, to exercise my own imagination. Yeah. So Thanks, thank you. Yeah, and that's yeah. it. I mean, really, all the, it's it's um it's to the, some of the points we were talking about earlier. I mean, none of this is we all know how to do this. We're just not doing it. It is like weightlifting. I mean, training, right? It's like a diet, right? I mean, if we all felt we knew how to diet, we wouldn't need to buy another diet book, right? Um, so it is just little prompts, little bits to get ourselves out there. Simone, I just have a couple things. Um, one is if any of you have ever heard of the Eisenhower box, President Eisenhower was extremely productive human being because he learned what was important versus what can wait till later and was wondering your thoughts on that one. Two, I'm also a perfectionist, a bit of a control freak kind of person and um, I will schedule days to be spontaneous. If, I know that sounds weird, but... So what do you do, Simone? And I love that. Is I will literally put it on the calendar like this day I will schedule nothing on purpose so that Anybody who calls or texts or some event that happens, I can allow myself to just spontaneity, like, take over and just go do what I want to do. And I found that's, like, one way to allow that to happen, even though it's completely planned. But I love that. It's, it's a great example to Kelsey's issue, right? I mean, you've, you've organized a way to be spontaneous. I, that's a good one. Hi, I'm Trina, and I also Hi, want to Trina. thank you. This is fabulous. Um, I'm in a very different position in that my um, scenario is of retirement, and that has a very scary feel to the back. But a lot of what you've said here is really helpful in me thinking ahead in terms of what, what next yeah. and dreaming big. Yeah. It doesn't have to be sitting around 
watching TV all day, which it won't be. One of my biggest <laughs> fears be, though, is anxiety about being bored because I've worked all my life yeah. and it's sort of a big change. And so I appreciate everything you've had to say. Good. Thank well, Trina, I can um, relate a little bit just to share a personal story. So I, um, I left GE at the end of 2017. I left a job I loved, or rather I should say the job left me. It was a bit of an abrupt exit for leadership team shakeup. And I knew I'd be leaving at some point, but I didn't expect to leave when I left. So it's very unsettling. And I put a book out, so that was quite, quite chaotic last year. But I have given myself space to do this. And I sort of that, I can do this. I can do this. Um, and I've had to go back and remind myself of some of these things, right? First, give myself permission that, one, I don't have to have the answer right now. I love the idea of the, seren the, the spontaneity. I need more of that. I remember my, my first couple of months into it, I was sitting at my little desk, and my husband came by, and he was looking at me doing my to-do list. And he's like, why do you need a to-do list? I didn't really. I needed a to-do less, a do less list, or not do list, right? And so you have to kind of, you know, so you got to give yourself permission to do these things differently. Get out, discover. I've aligned with Columbia University and doing some research there on creativity, just testing things out, very non, you know, it's not a job. Um, so I do think that is something I'm trying to figure out for myself and trying to kind of just not take that structure of this is the, always the way that it, this is what it was supposed to be or what everyone expected me to be doing, right? So I, I can really appreciate that, Trina. Thank you. Hi, my name is Gage. Hi, Gage. So I'm curious when, these are some really good ways to kind of spark creativity, but let's say you're a creative team, you're a creative person, you're a creative business, and you have lots of ideas, and maybe you incorporate some of this to come up with even more ideas, yeah. but at what point do you put in some sort of decision matrix? How yeah. do you decide what not to pursue or which things to pursue? Because I feel like I stretch myself a little too thin and take on yeah. too many things because I get too excited, but... Do you have any tips, like maybe this Eisenhower box or something like that, for <laughs> determining what your priorities should be? Yeah. Um, I'm going to get to some of that in this last bit, because it really is the getting to action. And I think it is about, uh, to Kelsey's point, navigating that tension. You do have to take action. Decisions must be made. I mean, so uh, the colleagues I had at one point, um, my colleagues called me the dog from Up. If anyone's seen that movie, the one who likes all the shiny, you know, goes after the shiny things. Um, and so, like, I drove my colleagues crazy. Jean can tell you. I would be like, I like this. Like, let's go chase that. Let's go see this. Let's go do that. Discover this. And um, it was, a, one, they needed to give me feedback, which we'll get to. And I needed to be clear about this is interesting, but we're not going to do anything on it. And so back to that, maybe even in the interestingness, like, is there kind of almost like a parking lot of things that are interesting, but we can't get with that yet? So capture it, but you can't act on everything. And so I think I had to learn to be very clear. And then back to strategy and use your strategy as your filter. Like, that's a great idea, but does it matter now? And then we were, I was, I've always been really big, even as how I live my life, in having kind of an experiment budget. So 10 to 15% of my time budget to test some of those things so that it's maybe done in a different way with less intensity. So it's almost like you're funneling like interesting and then you kind of have a strategic filter at which point do you decide to test something and then at which point do you decide to scale it. And I think you need to do that very transparently. 
but my recommendation, Gage, with your team is also ask them for, to give you some feedback and just, you know, am I clear that this is interesting versus like don't do anything on this? And maybe even have a time in your, with your team where it's like let's share some ideas, let's share what we've learned, let's share trend setting. Is there any of these that we now want to take action on? And maybe you need a formal vetting process to do that. Um, and I have some ideas coming up. But that's it. I think for most of us, usually ideas aren't the issue. It's building the confidence. And what I'm trying to convey here, for me, it wasn't about Beth's idea. It wasn't like, I'm a genius. Look at me. I have this great idea. It was sort of giving myself the permission to take risks on things, owning the curiosity. That helped me get over my lack of confidence. I'll share a little bit later, but I stand before you not a very confident person. I'm much more confident now in my late 50s than I was in my early 20s, but I still struggle with confidence. And curiosity was my way of getting over some of that. You know, it was of saying, but the trend's there. I see it. It's really there. And so it became less of Gage's idea, Beth's idea versus Beth's idea, and more like the trends are there. We all see it together. And so in some ways, those decisions start to become a little easier because you start to see the patterns emerging. So that's also a way, I think, that, that helps. So you don't want to discourage the curiosity, but you also don't want a bunch of dreamers and dabblers on your team forever, right? You want some of that, but not, um, and I think that's often the fear, is that we're not going to get anything done. Jean. Sorry, I'm Jean. <laughs> I think a big part of that also is the willingness to have the people around you who are going to be questioning you. You're empowering them, but at the same yeah. time, you have to have the strength to say, I'm going to bring someone in who's going to push me and who's going yeah. to question me, so I'm willing to hear it and go from there. Yeah. And I think that's a really big part of the story. Yeah, it is. Have, have, how have you, I mean, I'm going to call on you, but uh, since I know you, how have you found yourself doing that? I can't come up with specific yeah, examples. No, no, no specific, but I mean, is that something you've been aware of well, and what, tried to challenge? Well, with that's it? what drives me. I mean, yeah. I always have goals. Um, I'm actually in the circumstance right now of, of retirement. And as we were starting into the exercises, I was trying to look at that in terms of a perspective of having a team, how to plan things. And as we've been talking more, it's you now looking at myself and letting go, yeah. which is a big thing right now in terms of determining where my next steps are going to be. I'd have to set the alarm. Um, if I want to just sit down and read a book, I can give myself permission yeah. to do that instead of my 10 to 12-hour work days of what I was doing to accomplish what I needed to do. Yeah. But I always want to be around people who are going to be pushing me and questioning me. And I think, actually, that's probably because of the time that I spent at GE, because of the type of people that I was always working with, because yeah. the questioning was always there yeah. and feeling empowered to do it. So we, I think it's a great thing to add to our list, that those sparks question you, provoke you. So for you and Trina, maybe one of the thoughts as you're, you're embarking on what's next is your board of advisors. I mean, maybe there are people who've gone through this. Maybe you pick some very wise people who've been through this to advise you, and maybe you pick some people who haven't been through this at all and have them imagine what they would do if they were in your position as a way to kind of ask some of those tough questions. Um, I reached out and got a transition coach, um, somebody to ask me those tough questions and, and hold me accountable. No, not, you know, I mean, you, you know, there may be times you, you can't, you don't, you, you don't want to put your money to that or whatever, but there's probably someone in your life who can, uh, or an online group of people who can maybe ask some of those kind of questions of you. So um, I, great, great seed that you planted. 
Uh, this conversation is sparking a memory of a, a talk on the CEO of Poopery. And she, her um, company, I believe, is broken up into like a growth mindset group and also a just running the business, which you yeah. brought up. I'm curious what you think about that segmentation or if you should believe that should exist in one human or group altogether and that there's value in that. Yeah, I'm a big believer in that. And I'm going to get to that in the last section. I do believe in two speeds of a company. Um, I don't think all of us... I think we're all, we're all made differently, but I do think we have to push ourselves. I mean, I'm big on Carol Dweck's research on growth mindset. That would be something to add to your change discovery toolkit. Um, it's, it's this idea, you know, you have a fixed mindset where you're less open to new and next and a growth mindset. But I think it's a spectrum of most of these things. And I would encourage you, if you find yourself more on the fixed mindset, to push yourself to do even more do some of these things. So I do believe in running companies in that kind of two lanes or two tracks, but I'm not going to let the, op, the, the core operators or the people who are less open to change off the hook. And so how do we, how do we orchestrate that? And there may be some people whose jobs is much more to discovery and opening up, but it doesn't mean that the people who are operating the day-to-day -day shouldn't also be exposed to that. That's where I think the sparks, the field trips, are really helpful because it exposes people in a way they might think it's a waste of their time. So, okay. Uh, oh, go ahead. Uh, hi, I'm Tony. I'm hi, uh, Tony. part of a team building video game studios out here in the Great. Washington area. Um, so I have a question. I'm often you know finding new things I'm like oh that would be great let's go do that and the thing I'm trying to balance is with the team that we're building you know there's also a lot of things to do so yeah. you know how to build a team how to motivate them oftentimes to say hey take your head away from the thing that you're working on and you know know that this will be great for us in the long term knowing that sometimes in the short term it's like okay that's eight more hours out of my week right. and I may have to make that up somewhere else right I can appreciate that um, uh, I mean, I do think things like these organized field trips. Um, I like just structuring things like time to think. Um, we're, gonna, um, we're going to take the third Friday, and we're going to take the last four hours of the day or make it a Wednesday, and it's just time to think. And no, you're not allowed to do anything else. And then we're going to share what we came up with. Um, bring in outside speakers, some of those kinds of things. I mean, I don't. I think it can't be optional, but I also think you have to respect the need to get the stuff done, right? And so, if you're doing this every day or like every, you know, then I think people start to go, "Well, wait a minute, Tony, you don't appreciate what we've got to do." I would also ask some of those people to be in charge of it. So, in that uh, control issue, that um, it's always great when you're the one trying to make change, right? You think every idea is great. But let's be honest, most of us don't like change that we don't have any influence over. And for most of us, that's, we can relate to that. So are there other people that you can delegate that to? Are there other people who can own that? And you, I'm, I'm assuming you're the team leader, maybe not, but can you instigate it? Can, can you get someone else to join with you to instigate it so it's not just Tony's thing? So that it looks like there are more people than Tony who, who feel it's important? So that would be a, f a few thoughts. A few thoughts of it. I like. Um, I. I mean, it depends on how you're running your team. But I think one of the things that you know we kind of adopted at GE was sort of this notion of external thinking, and we actually evaluated for a period of time, evaluated our teams on external, our professional team on external thinking. Um, some people, you know, 
showed the amount of time they put into things. But, you know, if you just start to see that we're going to value that and ask people for their ideas in doing it. Um, but I think you can do it and have fun, too, which I would be my recommendation, not make it onerous and, like, you're going to get a ding on your bonus if you don't do it. I think this is the big issue. So I'm going to end with this. Um, I think this is the challenge. Really, it's at the heart of what holds a lot of us back is failure. We're afraid of it. It's the F word, right? No one wants to fail, especially if you're a perfectionist or a recovering perfectionist. Failure just is not in our vocabulary. I told you that culture club I created, I, I, I was part of that we created. Um, I, I and the team held ourselves accountable. Tell me something I don't want to hear. Well, they came back and said to me, one of the things they said was, you know, you talk about failure, but we don't want to fail. And we don't want to fail for you because we feel we'll let you down and you're incredibly demanding. And we need to tell you that. And we need, this is a bit of an intervention. But we have a solution, they said. We're going to hold a convention of failure that they called FailCon. And I loved it. It was such a creative idea. And they said, and you're going to kick it off. So we're going to have a video webcast with our whole team in different parts of the country, I think it was the world. And you're going to start off by sharing a huge failure. And then other people in the team are going to get on and share their failures. And we're going to have this convention of failure. It was brilliant. I love that they came up with that. And so I had to start off and I had to share a, a company that we had invested in and partnered and launched a whole new business line that I backed and how it went bankrupt and how horrible I felt. And how, one, I think a part about dealing with failure is you have to wallow in it. It's okay to feel bad, to say this stinks, to fear you're going to lose your job, to maybe come close to losing your job, as I told you earlier with the story I had. But there was something very cathartic, and I think it's a good practice to get into a regular routine of kind of an autopsy of your failures, of going through the things that... Um, that didn't, that didn't work. I mean, I know what it's like to have that stink of failure that follows you wherever you go. It's like people don't want to sit next to you. They're like, oh, that project didn't work well. She didn't, because of her, we didn't make our numbers. People don't want to, they almost don't want to look you in the eye because they think you haven't done something wrong. And yet you have to stand up there and go, yeah, I didn't get it right this time. And I'd hope for all of us what we could do is sort of get this, this position of kind of, it's a fail-forward mindset, and it's, a, it's an act of leadership. Really, I think when you're, you're trying to say when you failed, partly if you're going back to that 3D budgeting, you're setting up that 20 or 10% lane so that you can have earlier failures and smaller failures before you're putting all your money into the really big ones. So you're setting up a system for allocating money and people and time, so you're testing and learning. So that is the first thing you're saying is, one, what did I learn from this? Hopefully it's not a big, colossal, bankruptcy kind of failure, but we will, many of us will have those too. What did I learn? I'm convinced that the success for all of us in our careers and competitively in business is the speed to learn. How fast can we learn? how you're going to advance your business, your career, so you're going to beat the competition. What are you going to do differently next time? This is a great question to add to your repertoire of questions that you're asking people. Um, back to what we said earlier, how are we asking different questions? What will I do differently next time? What will you do differently next time? Rather than, how could you, Kelsey? How could you mess up? 
Instead, what'd you learn? What are you going to do differently next time? As a parent, I wish I had taken that tactic much more with my daughters when they were growing up. Um, what can we feel good about? I'd often take the team, often when we were doing well in something, and try to say, okay, what almost went wrong? Same thing when you're in failing, like, what were the things that were good? Like, it wasn't all bad. Were we totally idiots that did this? I mean, no, it couldn't possibly. What, what worked? Then you get to that, like, okay, what's that fear? What's held us back? Were the reasons, you know, so there's a bit of psychology. And then I find often in these, it's, often, it's really helpful to have a source of inspiration. So for me, I love this um, Samuel Beckett quote. It's just this simple, like, I say it to myself in those, those times, especially this, you know, um, try again, fail again, fail better. I mean, as somebody who wants to get better, that's a bit of an inspiration to me. Okay, next time I'm just going to fail better. You're just doing a little bit of a, of a psychology, uh, psychology number on, on yourself. I could have called my book Fail Forward because uh, if you have a chance to read it, you'll see I shared a lot of these failure stories. I think it's important that we share these. I think if you have an opportunity in a family setting, in a work setting, um, obviously you need to talk about success, but I think it's important to say this didn't work and here's what we learned and what are we going to do differently. It shows a vulnerability as a leader to be able to say, I failed. I don't know the answer. I didn't want this to happen this way. Can you help? It really, to me, comes down to this. If failure is not an option, then how can success ever be? It really is this. This is, again, I think why we need to challenge ourselves in our data-driven world today where we think we're always going to have certainty in the answers. Do we have that lane for, for making the mistakes, for testing, for learning? And if you don't, then how are you ever going to be as successful as you need to be? So as I wrap up here, I want to um, sort of challenge you to one more thing, and then I'm going to wrap up. But I, um, I, had, uh, I had the fortune to work with a really great leader, and he worked in a business that was, had been struggling for decades, hadn't been invested in, tried to be sold, and the team just felt like they were constantly failing and always coming from behind. And they had the opportunity to win a big contract with a big client. And... Um, he realized as a team leader, he was leading, he was energized, but they, he felt maybe they weren't willing to take the risks, and how did they go forward? Um, and so he did kind of a bad news bear team leadership exercise, and he said, uh, I want us all to have a fight song. And he declared his fight song was Katy Perry's Roar, which was very surprising if you'd know him. You would never have, picked, have imagined that would have been his fight song. And he said, I want us all to have a fight song, and we're going to put it together. And every time you'd walk into their, the lobby of their, their team building, the fight song played, the playlist played. And everybody could identify. They each had their own little story behind it. And what I loved about it is they went after this big client that for two decades they had failed to land, and they won it. They took all that failure. They took the energy of generations before them. And they said, this is about leadership. So as our last exercise together, I'd like you to think about what's your fight song. So in those moments of failure, those moments when you're like, oh my gosh, I feel like a loser. I can't do this anymore. What's your fight song? 
I'm not going to make you sing it, although we do have two microphones. But what's your fight song? So I will tell you when I... Um, I used to have this song. I, I still love it. It's so silly. But I loved Build Me Up Butterclub by the Foundations. I can sing a mean, mean, that, mean Build Me Up Butterclub cup in, um, in uh, karaoke. But that was my fight song for confidence. Build Me Up Buttercup. It was just so silly. But I loved that song. And in work, I found Queen my inspiration. Right? I think you could pick just about any Queen song. We are the champions. Um, what, 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 I'm blanking on my other one. Oh, Don't Stop Me Now. I love that one as a fight song. Um, so what is it? Are you going to share it with somebody when you, go, when you go back to whatever you're doing? Do you have a fight song? Put it on your playlist. Maybe you have a playlist of fight songs for those times when you're feeling like, oh my gosh, this project has just kicked my butt. I'm going to fight back. Anyone want to share? Uh, the first thing that came to mind for me was, I think it's Chumbawamba, as I get knocked down. Oh, I get knocked I get down. It is Chumbawamba. You're right. That's a good one. I might add that to my playlist, too. It's much more profound than uh, Build Me Up Buttercup. Buttercup. I think it has like two lines of lyrics, right? I get knocked down, I get up again. Don't, you're never going to knock me down or what? Don't stop me now is like that too, right? Don't stop me now. Um, mine would have to be Eye of the Tiger. Eye of the Tiger, that's a good one. Can you do you do you know the lyrics to that? No. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that'll be your homework. We want you to go memorize the lyrics and uh, tell us, you know, keep it in your head. Anyone else have one you want to share? Jean? I think something that just forces movement is Bailame by the Gypsy Kings. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, good. Good. That's very creative. Mine would have to be Back in Black. Back in Black. But it was also fun because... Amy I was Winehouse. Like, yes. Ooh, yeah, I was thinking more ACDC. Oh. But on a different day, perhaps. Oh. <laughs> uh, ACDC, yes. That's, that's a good one. Yeah. We actually put together a playlist. Um, I work in cybersecurity for threat hunting, a threat hunting mixtape. Oh. For, and it's all like 80s music to sling them <laughs> forward hunting, into threat hunting. Mixtape, that sounds yes. good. <laughs> All right, well, hopefully a bit of inspiration uh, just to get out. And uh, it's a great way, thing to do with your teams when they're in those moments of feeling like the, that we're defeated. Um, you know, don't stop me now. It's, it's queen. So let me end with this um, kind of thought. Hopefully what you're taking away from our conversation today is a bit of a roadmap for leading yourself, your teams, your companies differently. To me, it's about leading with an, a good MO or really a good mindset orientation. It's about kind of being open to discovery, um, giving yourself permission to take risks. Um, it's about building team trust. Think about it, we call ourselves often in work managers, like I manage this team, I manage these people. Uh, often when I meet a new person, like, you know, tell me what you do, they'll tell me how many people they manage or their title. But we don't manage people, really. We don't control people. If we're fortunate enough, we're part of a team where we're encouraging one another. Decisions have to be made. We're inspiring. We're coaching. We're asking our colleagues to figure it out. We're saying, I need help. I don't know. You're here because you're good. I have a vision. This is where I think we're going. Are you with me? Can, can you do it? 
You figure it out. I'm giving you room. I'm giving you permission. In fact, you better grab the permission to figure it out, to make it happen. It's a new mindset orientation. And so if I have a last set of um, questions, it's really just, it's just this, I think, a way to summarize, you know, the, are you ready to emerge? Emerging times require people to adapt and emerge in different ways. So if you take that mindset orientation, are you opening yourself up? Are you able to give yourself that permission to, to give up control, to accept that you don't really manage people? You inspire. Discover. Are you helping to lead a mission? Can you, can you create vision? That inspire word again, coach, encourage. Micromanagers just not welcome in this changing world today. We do not control what we think we do. At best, we can control our, our minds, our perspectives, the way we interact with each other. We can understand change. Are you experimenting, creating the feedback loops, the failure loops? And then finally, I think it's this defining notion of our time, get comfortable with living in the in-between. And it's to Kelsey's point, you have to optimize today and you have to build tomorrow. Whether it's a business and especially if it's your life. You gotta do what you gotta do, but you have to plan for tomorrow. Because remember, tomorrow always comes. And you have to believe it will be better and you have the power to do so. So to me, this is the roadmap that we're all on. And if anyone wants to tell you otherwise, I defy them. It's this, and it's probably something even far more complicated than this, and it comes down to this for me. You don't just live a life. You blunder your way toward creating one you love. And so that's what I'm here to say. I think it's about summoning your imagination, um, creative problem solving, giving yourself the permission, the courage, those little pieces of courage in your pocket to imagine it forward. This is me. I look forward to staying in touch. And hopefully this gave you a few helpful tips and practical applications and a little bit of encouragement um, that you can, um, you can sort of uh, be creative, courageous, and embrace change and make the future. So thank you for the time, and thank you, Kenna, and, uh, and the Creative Live team. Thank you. Hopefully this was helpful. All right, thanks for listening. Hey, before you go, I want you to know that I never, not for a millisecond, take it for granted that you have decided to spend some of your time and attention here on the show with yours truly, guest or no guest. It's just an outright privilege. I don't take it for granted for a second. I want to say thank you. In line with that, this is a community, and I would love if you've been moved or inspired or whatever to share this with anyone that is in your universe uh, feel free to shout questions or and just even a shout out to, to yours truly or the guest means the world. I want to say thanks and have a good one.